Welcome to episode 486 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a grand conversation with a regular contributor, educator, fiddle player, axe aficionado, and our resident historian, Surf William. Surf speaks with us from Berlin, Germany, as he is out there doing some research. We talk about 420, the stupid electorate desiring fascist rule, how Europeans are perplexed about our fascination with guns, expats, the difference between nationalism and patriotism, a good glass of bourbon, imposter's syndrome, the beginner's mind, and travel, among other things. A grand conversation with our good friend, Surf William. We also have an EW essay titled Rudderless, and we share a piece from the November 2021 issue of The Sun magazine titled Jewish Community Center Entrance, July 1971 written by Michelle Herman. And we have an EW poem called The Air. All of this, of course, will be imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it. Episode 486 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Stay. 
rudderless. Two Joes don't know how to fix my air conditioner. One is earnest, the other is a scam man with a bad plan. But he goes to church to avoid the lurch of guilty feelings. He's nice to old ladies who go to church. He attends the rosary and brings garden vegetables to the homes of some of his contemporaries. He is seemingly a good man. Maybe he is. I don't really care. I have been had. We go through this life bearing all types and levels of strife. Our conditions not truly known whether we've been treated fairly or have been given the bone, living vivacious, industrious, or like an empty drone. What is this notion I was handed as a kid about home sweet home? My community is crumbling asphalt and cement. The government leaders work diligently in efforts to circumvent we witness the glory of those who saw, conquered, and went their own self-serving way, despite the rest of us still spinning non-stop within the unforgiving fray. Here, day in and day out, to play the game with a bad set of directions and no clout. Where is the true happiness and my pleasure train? So weak, frustrated, I am such a rudderless whiner living in vain. Don't appreciate nothing. Just need my fix of the fantasy world I have somehow constructed, unobstructed by the rest of you nobodies. Well, I stood stone like at midnight, suspended in my masquerade. And I combed my hair that was just right and commanded the night brigade. I was open to pain and crossed by the rain. And I walked on a crooked crutch. I strolled all along to a fall out zone. Came out with my soul untouched. I My sails were set wing to wing I had a jukebox graduate for a first mate She couldn't sail but she sure could sing And I pushed me 52 and bombed them with the blues With my gear set stubborn on standing I broke all the rules straight in my old high school
took month-long vacations in the stratosphere And you know it's really hard to hold your breath Swear I lost everything I ever loved to fear I was a cosmic kid in full costume dress But my feet, they finally took root in the air But I got me a nice little place in the stars And I swear I found the key to the universe In the engine of an old parked car I hid in the mother breast of the crab When they said pull down, I pulled up Pulling up Ooh. Pulling up. Sir William, is that you calling? Did we do it? Did we succeed? I told you to never call me at this number. <laughs> it's good to have you on Troubadours and Rock on Tours yet again. Uh, this is so unexpected. I'm, I'm, I'm not prepared. Um, it's late at night. You know I prefer early morning. Uh, but it's great to hear your voice. Well, yeah, I mean, we should let the listeners know that uh, you're calling, you know, you called me. Usually I called you in the past. But uh, you're calling me from Europe, from Germany, somewhere in Germany, right? Uh, in the suburbs of Berlin. Suburbs of Berlin. And it, that's, that's great. So it's, it's nighttime there. What are you, about five hours ahead of us? Six hours. Six hours. Six it's hours. 10.21 p.m. here right now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We connected at 4.20 here in the United States. Which, <laughs> That's a coincidence. It's apropos, I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm happy. I'm happy to hear about what's going on with you in Germany. You're out there with your, your beautiful wife. My beautiful wife and sometimes translator. That's, yeah, well, yeah, I guess you know the German language, but she's, she's a native. I get around fine. I mean, I, I say that I, I say that I'm fluent, but I feel like I could be better. But um, I certainly I'm I'm good enough just like hanging out with people and having a beer and talking about stuff and talking about politics. Um, you know, that's comes up a lot now. The war in Ukraine. You know what's going on in America. It, it's it's been interesting. Yeah, I want to hear a bit about what you're you're hearing from some of the folks in Germany about all those uh, areas of discourse. But first, I should let new listeners know and uh, remind those who have listened in the past that, as I mentioned, Surf William is a regular contributor here on Troubadours and Rock Island Tours, a longtime contributor. He is an educator, a fiddle player, an axe aficionado, <laughs> a chicken coop builder, and most importantly for us, our resident historian. So, yeah, I mean, historically speaking, mm -hmm. has the U.S. ever been where it is now, politically? Oh. Well, look, what I like to tell people is don't forget um, there was this little thing called the Civil War where, you know, over 600,000 Americans murdered each other. Just keep that in mind. Uh, so not to evade your question, because you know me, I try to get to the answer eventually. 
we had a civil war in our country. Over 600,000 Americans died, and many more than that were just maimed. And, you know, the after effects of it we're still feeling today. Um, so, you know, has our country been divided? The sad reality is we've been divided since we since before we were a nation and we could talk about all the different ways our populations were so strongly divided to the point where they don't really like each other and they were even ready to go to war well uh, yes great observation great point i guess for me here now though i know that history and i've read about it to a a significant extent. So mm -hmm. I think I know a little bit about how how terrible it was, the Civil War itself, and what led up to it in the aftermath. We're still dealing with the aftermath, in my opinion. Um, but, I mean, has the electorate been as stupid as they are today? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's one way of framing it. You know, what are you, stupid? Like, you're voting for Donald Trump, you must be stupid. But, you know, there is a type of person that leans towards or strongly supports vociferously um, a, a fascist model of, of I'm not even going to say governance because I, I don't consider fascists to govern. They rule. So there's always been a certain type of person and they make up a certain section of the population of the electorate that really leans toward um, fascist rule they truly do want to be ruled by a strong man who offers them simple responses that they can digest to complex problems that that no pat answer could clearly you know solve that's just their nature i i hear you and that makes total sense to me um the thing that fascinates me when I talk to folks who I believe are intelligent people, naturally, and also have had the privilege of education, and yet they they support uh, a, a person like you know the fascist that you're talking about, Trump, and the Republicans these days in power, uh, you know, like a DeSantis or people running for office, like in Pennsylvania, uh, what's his name, Mastriano. You know, these guys are nuts, and they're and and obviously so. They're not hiding it. Well, well, nonetheless, an intelligent, well-educated person would still support them. Is it my wife and I sometimes think it's just because they're, they're those folks are, are racist or something or or they're governed too much by their religion, perhaps? I would say to you, I would question the term educated. There's a lot of different ways to be educated. So I have a feeling I might even know some of the people you're talking about. Whether I do or I don't, I know some of the same types of people. You say educated. I know people with advanced degrees who who support Donald Trump. Right. I know people who are educators, teachers, um, doctors who support Donald Trump. Now, the question becomes, they might be educated in their particular field, but do they really understand, you know, the history of fascism and what it looks like? And what it always, always, always historically leads to, the disaster that it leads to. If they, I, I contend that if they knew history a little bit better, they would not be so uh, supportive of uh, fascist or fascist-like leaders like Trump, who really are going down the same road as dictators and fascists have always gone down. 
which is their rule. So all the values that we hold dear as Americans, like democracy and equal representation and a fair chance and um, uh, 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 due process under the law, do they understand that a fascist leader doesn't believe in any of those things? Like, I don't know that they really get it. Well, the folks that do, the folks you're around now in Europe, because they've they've experienced it firsthand, unless they've forgotten. Uh, well, there's fascists over here, right? There's, there's, there's a, yeah, but they've they've had fascism rule them with uh, you know an iron fist. What do they think about what's going on in the United States? So there's the people that we've encountered since we've been here, just people we've hung out with and yeah. talked to? Yes. Well, the United States confuses people. So a few of the things that people, Europeans in general, just kind of are perplexed about um, are like, for example, our fascination with guns and gun proliferation in America. Like that, that's right across the board universally pretty shocking to your average resident of Europe. And I'm talking about, you know, we're in Germany now, but I've been to France and I've been to the Czech Republic. I've been around. That's a universal like, what are you people thinking with all these guns? So, you know, there's there's that weird thing about America. And then there's Donald Trump. And they totally don't get, you know, but they didn't get Reagan either. And George W. Bush, you know, to Europeans, these people simply weren't of the caliber that they expected from their political leaders. Not that European political leaders are, you know, all that. But... There's just a sort of kind of common sense expectation for people who are in politics that they will act with a certain amount of reason and sanity. And when you see someone like Trump, you say to yourself, like, what are these Americans thinking? However, you've got somebody like Viktor Orban in Hungary who basically has been, you know, uh, uh, canonized by – well, he's not dead yet – lionized. I think that's the word. He's he's put up on a pedestal now by the Republican Party. They brought him to CPAC. He was like their keynote speaker because he's advocating a bunch of radical right wing policies in Hungary. So, you know, Europeans are perplexed by Americans and American politics and American society uh, in a lot of ways. Um, do you and, think that, do you think they, they expect more from us? Are they happy to see us at some level not being so awesome because we're a bit arrogant? Do you sense any of that? No, I don't. I don't get that. I don't really get that. That could be there, but I don't get that sense. They, uh, your average person in Europe, and again, I'm probably speaking out of school here. They want America to do well. Like they don't want to see America go down the road of of dictatorship or fascism. They don't want to see the American economy collapse because so much of the world economy is based on how America is doing. Uh, a lot of the money comes from America and. There's nobody in Europe with a, you know that that you would consider reasonable that's saying yeah I really hope like America like collapses into civil war uh uh-uh. uh like I don't think <laughs> I don't think anybody wants that. Well, when you're looking at you know your own home uh, country, the United States of America, and, and our culture, uh, and then you go to Europe and you spend time there and you and you experience the cultures there, uh, older cultures for sure. Uh, how, how do you how, do, how does it work in your mind do you do you revel one over the other do you see positives and negatives in both or you know how, how do you compare yeah. how do you experience both well you you know how it is because you you've traveled overseas several times and and i my first trip to europe was in 1987 i was 20 years old 
So my perception of and and I lived in in Germany and in a divided Berlin when the wall was still there and communism was still, you know, we thought going strong in the East, but it wasn't. So, you know, imagine that, right? Like what a heady time. You're a 20 year old. You're in you're living in Berlin. Um, you're a political science student and you're living in West Berlin and you're taking day trips over to East Berlin and like walking around communist East Berlin. So, you know, my impressions as a 20 year old in 1987 being in Germany as a, as a, as a poli sci student with a concentration on Eastern European communism, like I was in heaven, (laughs) you know, like it was awesome, you know, what a laboratory, right? Right. And I wanted to be here. And, you know, you you and I both come from northeastern Pennsylvania, which is fine. But I had had it. I'd been there for 20 years and I wanted out. And all of a sudden, like, I really got out. Like, I'm living in Berlin. Like, how cool is that? My perceptions have changed over the last 25 to 30 years. Actually, it's like 34 years. But my perceptions have changed now. Like, my home is in Pennsylvania. You know, that's where I live with my wife and my family, and I and I love my life. Um, and now I come to Germany, and I really enjoy it. But, you know, when I was 20, I was like, I think I'm going to live here. Like, I think I'm just going to stay. But now I'm in my 50s, and I'm like, no, no, no. I'm here to see my friends, to work on my language, to um, build some professional relationships. Because, as you know, I take my students over here every yeah. other year for an exchange program. So, you know, I stayed with a colleague in Göttingen. She's a, she's a really wonderful woman with her and her family. Well, we did. Alex and I stayed there. And um, so now it's a different kind of thing. I'm older and I, I love it here. And I can, even, I can even imagine coming over here like on a teacher exchange or something for like six months or a year. But I think I want to live in America. Like right now, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I guess that's a good thing. You know, yeah. given you are a citizen of the U.S., you're a native of the U.S. Uh, We have have friends that are expats, you know, and I often wonder at this age now, because they went off when they were in their 20s, and, uh, you know, you wonder now if they feel more comfortable with the country they chose to move to or if they lament and and, uh, sort of wonder if they made the right decision and wish they were back here in the U.S. I I, I wonder. Well, you know what? I always wanted to live in Europe, and I came back subsequently after I graduated from college. I came back several times, and sometimes I came back with a one-way ticket. Like, I quit whatever job I had in America, and I came over here, and I'm like, let's see what happens. Maybe this time, maybe this time I find a job, or maybe this time I find a niche, and then I'm going to stay, and it never worked out, and I always went back to America. Well, I'm kind of glad it worked out that way. So I just hope for all our expat friends, I hope, and I think it is the case for them, they're over here now, and the way it worked out for them was they're living in Europe now. I hope they feel the same way about their lives. Like, you know, this is the way it worked out, and I'm happy it did. Right. You know, it's not about nationalism. It's about being a happy human being, a happy person wherever you are. You know, that whole nationalism stuff, I don't buy into. I mean, I really don't. I think it's it's immature and unhealthy. not to say you don't stand up for where you come from. You're not loyal. It's just to say that, you know, it's almost, you know, those folks that stand up and start chanting USA, USA and waving the flag. I think that's eighth grade stuff. Uh, you know, and if, if, if people all over the world are just trying to live a life that is peaceful and happy. Well, you make a great point. People Again, and I think this is a, a, an indication of the deficiencies in our political education in our country and our, our ideological training and our philo- philosophical training, there's a difference between nationalism and patriotism. Right. Uh, 
patriotism has all of the positive qualities of loving your country. You know, wanting your country to do well, wanting your fellow countrymen to do well, um, knowing that your country is a citizen of the world and for us all to succeed, we have to work together. You know, I want my country to lead and I want my country to do well and I want my country to help other countries. I want to show I want to hold my nation up as a paragon of what a what a constructive, you know, positive nation state looks like. Nationalism is all of the negative stuff. That's the other side of that coin. Nationalism is we're better than you. We're stronger than you. We don't care about you. We don't want to learn about you. America first because America is all I know and all I want to know. And if you're anything else but American, you are inherently bad. That's nationalism. So we have to start to really appreciate the differences between nationalism and patriotism. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Surf William here. On Troubadours and Rock On Tours, talking with us in the evening where he is in the suburbs of Berlin. And uh, sounds like he has a drink with some ice in it, too. Uh, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm in Germany, but I, I still take my, my bourbon with me wherever I go. Yeah, that's, a, that's <laughs> truly an American thing, the bourbon, right? That's, that comes from Kentucky you originally. Know what else? You know what else? Right on Europe, because, because liquor is way cheaper over here. I, do they appreciate a good glass of bourbon out there? I mean, you you go into the grocery store here, and you can buy a pair of shoes. You can buy your underwear, and then right in the next aisle is Jack Daniels and Jim Beam for nineteen dollars and sixteen dollars, respectively. Wow, that is for cheap. a fifth. That right? is cheap. How's the, how's that how's that happening? I don't get that. Uh, there's a, well, that then we would have to get into the whole like like taxation and tariff thing and and subsidies. I, that's way beyond me. Yeah. All I know is all. Here's what I here's all. Let me put it in layman's terms. The booze is cheap. <laughs> <laughs> that's a reason to be out there in and of itself. Uh, so let's talk about some of our politicians a bit, uh, and we could put them in a historical perspective uh, uh, for sure. Is there anything in your mind uh, that is uniquely historic or will be looked at as unique as history goes on uh, about President Biden? Um, again, you know, like this is a really tricky thing, right? You're asking me to predict the future, basically. Well, I'm just right? wondering what you think people would, how they're going to reflect and look at President Biden. Think about like preseason football picks. How many of those sports broadcasters get it right? Like they predict a team's going to win the Super Bowl. Like how often are they right? Like almost never right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take your challenge. Okay, great. So what? So how will history view Biden? Yeah, I mean up to this point, he's only been in office for two years at this point. I mean I can't look at this is your I'm biased, but but I feel like we needed a Joe, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, right? The, the, the Surf William from 1988 would be kicking me in the butt right now for saying this, but we needed a Joe Biden. After what we had been through, we had been nationally traumatized by uh, uh, what was in effect, you know, a crime family running our country. So we needed somebody who was simply not just a decent guy, because I know Biden's had a lot of votes that I've disagreed with. There's a lot I disagree with. I still believe in my heart he's a decent 
guy. Like he loves his wife. He loves his grandkids. He loves his dog. Like I really do believe that. And also on top of that, he's not just an aw shucks guy. He's someone who intimately understands how legislation, how politics work and how legislation is moved forward and um, affected to make change. So he's not just a guy who's got some silly slogan that he can stick on a bumper sticker like, uh, you know, drill, baby, drill. He understands that, well, if you're talking about energy policy, you have to bring together uh, energy industry with also environmental activists, with working people, like he, with their represent, with their rep- the elected representatives. He gets all of that. And is that really like, isn't that really what we want? in political leaders. So I think Biden's going to, no matter whether he gets reelected or not, I think he will, he will be viewed as a remedy to what we had to go through for the last four years of Trump. So I think, I think he's going to be viewed in, in the pantheon of presidents relatively positively. And let me ask you this. Thank you for that. Uh, do you think Biden at this point is an aberration or do you think Trump is an aberration? Oh, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I would say this. I don't know if either one of them are aberrations. Trump represents the mentality of, I'm going to say, about 30% to 35% of the electorate. Biden, while, again, he's not a cult leader, he's just an elected official, Biden represents what most voters kind of are looking for in a political leader in a sort of general way, somebody who's competent, Who's who understand who's who's experienced, and and who just sort of shares the same basic ideas and values that they share. Um, I don't know that either one of them are aberrations. Okay, thank you. So what what's next on your agenda? You're you're in Germany for a few more days. I understand you have to come back uh, to teach soon, right? Yeah, yeah. We we leave here on Saturday, uh, less than a week. And uh, when you come back, you're, you know, it'll be late, the second half of August, late August. Uh, what are you planning on? What are you looking forward to the next several months? Um, it's going to be a crazy school year. So I know when I get back, like, like it's going to be like hit the ground running because um, I'm teaching four different courses this year. And I wrote, I helped, I co-wrote a new course, like a pilot course that we're offering for the first time. It's, it's a linguistics course. So it's a real fly by the seat of your pants situation. I don't have a textbook. I made up the course and now I'm expected to teach it for the year. So it, it's going to be a crazy year. So the school year is going to be wild. And uh, extracurriculars, you're doing anything with music, you're reading any good books, you, you know. I am. I've got a bunch of shows with my bands, Barley Juice and the Blue Wave Ramblers. And um, I was offered the job as the head fencing coach of the girls' fencing team. Uh, so I'm going to be doing that. So hey, you can imagine, it's going to be nuts. Fencing? Like, you don't know how to fence. No. I don't know how to do I don't know how to do anything I do. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you what do you make of a person who could excel in all these areas you know has the people in charge's confidence to to uh facilitate uh you know these important roles how do you how, how does that happen? 
I suffer from a severe case of imposter syndrome. I can't believe people consider me a teacher, a musician, a coach. Uh, uh, what am I, the resident historian? Can't yes. Believe that can't yes. believe that. Can't believe that either. So, if there's one sentiment that I would leave you with, it is: fake it till you make it, because we all are. Fake it till you make it. Jeez, that's that's something I think Sarah Palin said. No, nah. no, she didn't say that. No. Nah. Well, you know. <laughs> Has she made it yet? No, she has. She doesn't know how to fake it. She can't fake it. She can't make it either. Um, yeah, I I think you're you're not giving yourself enough credit. Uh, well, you, here here I'll, I'll put a positive spin on that. You know, be a student. Like be like the what was the what did the Buddha say? Like have the beginner's mind. Yes, the beginner's uh, mind. I, I I so here's the deal. If I'm being really honest, I, I, I'm I'm a little bit. I have a little bit of imposter syndrome. But the other, but the other side of that coin is, um, I consider myself a student. So even when I'm in the classroom with my students, I make it very clear to them that we're all students. I just have a little bit more, you know, a little bit more experience than they do. But right. I'm a student. But I'm a student too. Let's learn together it takes all the pressure off of me and it makes for a really relaxed classroom environment and so far the impression is the students really really like that and really um benefit from that i hear you i think i've mentioned this to you in the past you know i'm uh, a professor and when i when i go into a classroom i regularly tell my students that i i'm the student in charge Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, I'm, I'm going to st- steal. I'm gonna, I'm going to steal that. Yeah, well, go ahead. Go for it. I, I, I yeah. think it, that works. Uh, Surf William, we we have a, a minute or two left. Uh, I, again, I really appreciate you taking time out of your vacation in Berlin to talk with us on Troubadours and Rock Island Tours. Any words of wisdom, of wit, uh, of insight you'd like to share with our throngs of listeners? It's probably totally banal, but I will just say this. Travel, travel, travel. And even if you can't make an overseas trip or something so exotic, like during the pandemic, uh, uh, Alex and I knew we couldn't fly anywhere. We went to state parks. You know, we drove around Pennsylvania and just spent time in state parks. And we learned so much and had so much fun and didn't spend a lot of money. So, you know, travel is available to anyone anytime and it doesn't have to be like to you know southeast asia it could be to like a local state park that's just a few minutes away get out there it's it's enriching it charges your battery it changes your perspective it's wonderful yeah i hear you and i i agree with you i uh as always had a wonderful time talking with you surf william and we did this on the fly uh, for those listening, he texted me. I said I wanted to talk with him this week, and uh, he said my schedule is kind of busy. How about right now? And I, all right, let's do it. And we just, <laughs> we just, I called him up, and he answered. No, he didn't actually. You called me. First time ever. First time ever. Well, nonetheless, a pleasure. Have a wonderful rest of your uh, trek in in Germany. Tell Alex I said hey, and we'll we'll see you back here in the states soon. All right. Peace and love, my brother. Ciao. Ciao.
And now, from the November 2021 issue of The Sun magazine, a piece titled Jewish Community Center Entrance, July 1971, written by Michelle Herman. It's dark, and I don't feel at all well, and my mother will soon arrive to take me home, and the overripe aroma of the hedges with the tiny white flowers is making me want to throw up, but I'm not alone, because a fellow counselor in training, my first friend who is a boy, has left the camp sleepover to wait with me, this smart boy with big hands and nose and a cracking adenoidal voice who doesn't yet know that he will grow into something very close to handsomeness, who doesn't yet know that his engineer father will break the family apart and leave him in pieces too sharp to glue back into a semblance of the boy he is right now, sitting out the promise of camp songs and sugar, and maybe kissing to keep me company. And whenever a car approaches, he guesses the make from the engine sounds, and almost every time he gets it wrong, and I ache for both of us. And neither of us knows that one summer a decade hence, flush with young adulthood and our own wheels, will have sex, a lot of it, in his mother's condo, with the vertical blinds and the wall-to-wall carpet, and that then I will never hear from him again. And though the smell of those tiny white flowers, almost 50 years later, fills me with longing for all we've lost, I don't need him back in my life. I just want to know if he's okay.
my head skin like leather And the diamond hard look of a cobra I was born blue and weathered But I burst just like a supernova I could walk like Brando right into the sun Dance just like a cast on Nova With my black jack and jacket and hair slick sweet Silver star studs on my duds like a Harley in heat When I strut down the street I could feel its heart beat Sisters fell back said don't that man look pretty The cripple on the corner cried out nickels for your pity Them gasoline boys downtown sure talk gritty It's so hard to be a saint in the city main profit, I kept everything cool Just a backstreet gambler with a luck to lose And when the heat came down and it was left on the ground The devil appeared like Jesus through the steam in the street Showed me a hand I knew even the cops couldn't beat I felt this hot breath on my neck as I dove into the heat It's so hard to be a saint when you're just a boy out on the street And the sages of the subway sit just like the living dead As the tracks clock out the rhythm, their eyes fixed straight ahead They ride the line of balance and hold on by just a thread But it's too hot in these tunnels, you can get hit up by the heat You get up to get out at your next stop And they push you back down in your seat Your heart starts beating faster as you struggle to your feet You're out of back up on the street And they'll still look pretty Cripple on the corner cries out nickels for your pity Them downtown boys, they sure talk gritty It's so hard to be a saint in the city chimes and an August morning breeze through my window. The highway hums from off yonder. I ponder the meaning of it all. The cool rain is coming from the other side of the mountain. Its smell is in the air. I anticipate its arrival. I need it for a momentary attempt at survival.
And there you have it, episode 486 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our good friend, Surf William, The Sun Magazine, writer Michelle Herman, and these musical artists, 10,000 Maniacs, Bruce Springsteen, The Texas Gentleman, Bachelor, Juana Molina, Brentford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard too. Oh yes, and the Thelonious Monk, of course. And also, I'd like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and try to do our best with this time. Take care.